And so we do that as well today. Uh, I'm going to start with the kids today. Kids, you guys want to come up? You guys get to go first today. All right. What did I bring today? An apple. An apple. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about an apple today. Uh, what's this part called? That red and yellow part. Do you eat the red and yellow part? Some kids don't. You do? Sometimes it's also called the skin or the peel. All right. Why do you think there's a peel on, the, on an apple? What would happen if you took that peeling off and I just set it in my, on my counter without the peeling? Do you know? Has that ever happened where you, you have a cut apple? What happens to an apple if it just sits out all day? It gets moldy or brown. Yeah, kind of. So the, the peel or the skin protects it, keeps it fresh. Also protects it, like if it was growing on a tree, it would protect it from insects. And I mean, even once in a while, there's a worm that gets in it, but not very often because of the peel. All right, so there's, there's part of that. You have the peeling. And then, what's, and then the white part, that's the good stuff, right? When you open it up. We sometimes maybe call it like the flesh of the apple. And then what's in the middle? The seeds. Yeah, the seeds. Also called the core. Do you eat the core? No. no? I know some people that do. Uh, but yeah, most people don't eat the core. Uh, but, and so there's really three parts to an apple. You got the, the skin, you got the, the good stuff, the flesh, and then you've got also the seeds. Do you know that that's kind of how our God is? That our God has three parts to him. He's only one, one, just like there's only one apple here, there's only one God, but he's the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. And the Father is kind of like that peel. He protects us. That's his, his main job, is to protect us. Uh, that, that middle part, that flesh, is kind of like Jesus, that he took on he looked like you and me. He became human. So he had, this is called flesh. Sometimes your skin and your, is like called your flesh. And so that's what Jesus took too. And then the seeds, what do you use seeds for? To plant things? And so the Holy Spirit is like the guy who plants faith in our hearts, which says, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to have. So you have, you have these three parts just like you have one apple but three parts, you have one God but three parts. But they all work together. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? Got it? So God's kind of like an apple today. All right? You guys can head back. Thanks for coming up. So I don't know if that helps uh, when it comes to the Trinity. Uh, that illustration's a pretty common one. And, and yet... Um, Anytime we try to wrap our minds around who God is using earthly things, it always falls short, right? Because it's not apples to apples. Ding, ding. Got it? Uh, but, but no, it's hard to put a God who is so big into our understanding. And, and while that can be frustrating, that is also very comforting for us. We do not want a God who's on our plane. 
We don't want a God who, whom we can necessarily understand because that means that he's just like me. <laughs> or I can comprehend him. He's limited to my brain. We don't want that. At the same time, there's maybe another reaction when we can't comprehend something that maybe we, we discredit it or we ignore it. You know, if I, if I walk in, if you walk in on, on your spouse is watching something on TV that you have absolutely no interest in, you're like, I'm not going to watch that or I'm not going to be interested in that, right? And God doesn't want that either when it comes to the Trinity. If we say, well, I, I don't get it, therefore I'm just going to ignore it or I'm just going to discredit it. No, quite the opposite. He wants us to study it. You know, it kind of reminds me of a conversation that Jesus had uh, with a guy by the name of, of Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was, a, was a, um, a prominent teacher among the Jews. He was called what was a Pharisee, and he was, he was one of the prominent teachers. And he came to Jesus at night for Bible study, which is why you're sitting at, at chairs like this. It was a, a very much a one-on-one Bible study. And Nicodemus came at night because he didn't want any of his, his people to know that, hey, he was exploring this Jesus guy and this Jesus teaching. And as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, it becomes very obvious that they're not on the same wavelength. And, and Jesus starts talking to him about the Holy Spirit and how we come to faith. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, I don't get this. And Jesus didn't say, oh, that's okay. Don't worry if you don't get it. No, in fact, he, he kind of scolds him. He says, how, Nicodemus says, how can this be? And, and Jesus is like, you're, you're Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things? And what he's really asking there, he's, he's not addressing Nicodemus' brain. He's not saying, I'm not questioning what you fit in here. But just because it doesn't fit in here, don't let it not fit in here. He's questioning his heart knowledge more than his head knowledge. Today, as we study the Trinity, we're, doing, we're working at things that aren't going to fit in here. Okay? But don't let that mean it doesn't fit in here. As we study this together today in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are not going to walk out of here as an expert on the Trinity. You will not have a complete understanding of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three persons, three distinct persons, and yet one God. You aren't going to walk out of here like a staunch defender, like a guy by the name of Athanasius. Who's Athanasius? The only reason I bring him up, he's, he lived in the 4th century. But he was a staunch defender of, of the Trinity. There was a big controversy about whether or not God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he spearheaded the charge to come up with a statement of faith that said, yes, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, it's on the back side of your, your Bible class thing. It's called the Athanasian Creed. Uh, there's three creeds, three Christian creeds that are universally accepted. Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. We usually don't say the Athanasian Creed, A, because it's long. <laughs> uh, but it's somewhat hard to understand, too. But on Trinity Sunday, we break it out. We won't be saying it today, but it's there for your reference. I'd encourage you to read that uh, later on today. But so while we may not, you know, be these total experts, I would pray uh, that, and, and I do pray, 
that as we go through service today and as we walk away, that we have a greater appreciation and confidence in just the depth of who our God is and what he has done for us. For the people that were here Thursday night, there are a few of you you can't participate right now, okay? You're cheating if you uh, shout out the answers. Uh, but does anybody recognize any of those pictures? That's what I was hoping for. All right? Those on a... Re There's many lists that you can find, but these were the top five inventors, according to one list that I found. So bottom left, you have Thomas Edison. Middle bottom, you have Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, so, so you have electricity and light bulb, and you have phone, and then you have Eli Whitney, cotton gin. Top left is uh, George Washington Carver, big, big in agriculture, 300 uses of the peanut. Um, and then top right is Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, he's Mr. WWW, World Wide Web, um, from the Internet. He didn't invent the Internet, but he invented uh, the World Wide Web. Uh, and so you have all those guys there, and, and none of you knew them by their face, but you knew them by their product. You use them every day. You appreciate them every day. Part of what they did is affecting us right now. But I wonder if that's also the way that we sometimes think about God, especially when it comes to the Father. <clears throat> We put a lot of emphasis, <coughs> excuse me, or we, we consider his product the heavens and the earth, the stuff of life, but sometimes we forget about the maker. Oh, we say it when we come to the creeds, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. But I wonder if our emphasis goes on the end, especially the way that we live, the heaven and the earth, and we don't always take a look at the maker. Today, as we consider the Father, we want to look at just what does it mean that he is the maker of heaven and earth. And again, you look at those five guys up there, and you think, well, what would your opinion be of them? If, if you could have an interview with Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell and, and just sit down with them, I, if I had an interview, a one-on-one -on -one with them, I would walk away feeling very humbled, like, wow, those guys are really smart, or I'm really dumb, right? Uh, we'd be like just amazed at their creativity. We'd be amazed at their wisdom. We'd be amazed at their entrepreneurial spirit. We'd just be, wow, tremendous gifts. And yet you compare them to our God, the maker of heaven and earth. All these guys had raw materials to work with. God didn't, and yet he made everything that you and I see. You know, if you would just open up your Bible to, to Genesis, the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, and, and so I took a picture of my first page, and somewhere along the line when I was studying this, I just underlined these phrases, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God saw, and God saw, and God saw, right? God said, and he saw. Just the power of his word. That he can just create. And, 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 and it was perfect every time. 
And you think about how comforting that is for us now as today as we consider our triune God and what he means for us. That he is that powerful. That God just can create you and did create you is this tremendous comfort. But he didn't just create you. The Bible also tells us that he preserves you. That he protects you like that that skin of an apple. You know, you look again at those, those five pictures, four out of those five guys have something in common. They're dead. Right? Only Mr. WWW is still alive. Which means that if we had a problem with the electricity in here today, we couldn't say, hey, Mr. Edison, can you fix this? If you had a problem with your phone, you could try calling Alexander Graham Bell, but he wouldn't pick up. But now you think of what it means to have God alive. That he's the one who created you, but he's still serving you. He's still accessible to you. He's still available to you. How comforting is that? And yet, as comforting as that is, maybe that leads to a question, okay, God, if you're so wise, if you're so creative, if you're so powerful to create everything in my life, including me, and if you care about me and you preserve me, well, then maybe the question is, why? Why don't things always work out the way I think they should work out? Why do I see people in my life die prematurely, and prematurely is a relative term, what is you know, who's to say what's premature? It's according to our standards. Or why? Why do I deal with health issues? Why? Why do uh, friends act, let's say, a little less than friendly? Those are questions. Those are questions that Job answered or was asking. Remember Job? He, he gets held up in this high esteem by many people, the patience of Job. And I don't want to ruin his reputation in your, in your eyesight, you know. Because he, he gets held up. Why? Because he never cursed God. He had all these bad things that happened to him. He never cursed God. You're right, he didn't. But it doesn't mean he didn't question God. You read the book of Job around chapter 36, 37. It's a big book. All of a sudden he starts to ask God all these questions. And after he does that, God says, oh, Okay, Job, I got some questions for you. And he prefaces, he says, brace yourself like a man, because here it comes, all right? Job, explain to me, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth in place? Oh, Job, Job, uh, can you explain to me how I store up the snow and then just let it fall all at once, you know, like we had those 21 inches this last year? Or let's talk about the weather, Job. Explain to me lightning, explain to me thunder, explain to me hail, explain to me rain. Or let's, okay, don't want to talk about weather, Job. Let's talk about nature. Let's talk about animals. You see how the, the ostrich flaps its wings so joyfully, and yet eh, its wings are quite a bit different than a stork. Can you explain that to me, Job? Or, or let's, let's talk about the lions. You know, how can, how can the lions appetite be satisfied can you explain it and he just goes on and on and on and on for a couple chapters and finally job's like i get the point god right in fact he says this he says i know that you can do all things no purpose of yours can be thwarted no purpose of yours 
could be thwarted. That's our comfort today as well. Especially when we consider that what is God's purpose? God's purpose is to work all things out for your good. David, King David, songwriter David, understood that rather well. Psalm 103 uh, is, is where David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. But he looks at God's creative power, and, 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 and he would have seen God's love just throughout all of this. He saw, he saw God, how God could create as, as he tended the sheep and as he saw God's power in battle as he, as he gave him these tremendous victories when he was the underdog. He saw God preserve him as, as he went through rough times in life, losing not one but two sons at least. But over it all, he saw God's love. I mean, you look at these words from Psalm, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The Lord is compassionate and is gracious, loading, abounding in love. Then he points to the heavens, right? For as the heavens are as high as above the earth, but so great is his love for those who fear him. Whereas a father has compassion on his children, that's, what, that's the compassion that our father has on us. Or, or look at this. He knows how we're formed as our creator. He knows we're nothing but dust. And yet from everlasting to everlasting. The Lord's love is with those who fear him. And so on this Trinity Sunday, I would pray that we adore the Father. Adore the Father who created us, adore the Father who preserves us, but also adore the Father who above all loves us. And so we'll sing just one verse of this song, Father, we adore you. Many of you know, last week we were assigned a vicar. A vicar is like a pastor intern. So he's going to be arriving in August and spending a year with us. And so that's our Vicar Schultz and Mrs. Vicar Schultz. Uh, So uh, Maddie Maddie is her name and Samuel. And a lot of you have been asking me questions about him. Now, true confessions, I talked to him for about 10 minutes, Okay. Uh, but as you ask questions, I just send him a text. It's like vicar question of the day. And so does he go by Samuel or Sam? Either. All right. Um, what were some other questions you had? What, do, what did his parents do? And they're both psychologists. They're both counselors. Uh, where is he from? Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, does he golf? Mini? Question mark? That's what he said. Um, he said, but he's willing to go. Uh, so you, whenever you're about to meet someone, you want to know, well, what kind of a person is he? And in order to do that or to formulate that in your brain, you often compare it to other people that you know. And now we get to the son. And you want to know, well, what kind of a person is he? And here's where it becomes difficult. Because there's no comparison. 
The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son, is unique. There is no one like him in the Trinity. He's different than the Father, and he's different than the Holy Spirit, and he's different than us. And yet, he's both. This is what makes him so hard to grasp, that he's true God and true man at the same time. Now, why would he do that? Well, God, in his wisdom, arranges why he had to do that. And part of it is in regards to what we would call the law. So God always had a relationship with us. We just saw God created us, right? And he gave some expectations to Adam and Eve when he created them. And, and this is, verse isn't from, from Genesis, but later on in the Bible, he says, we know what his expectations are. He says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's God's expectations. According to what? According to his law. But now if God is going to, if we messed up, if we sinned, and God's going to be our substitute and be perfect for us, what does he have to do? He has to put himself under that law. Because if he's only God, he's above the law, right? So my wife is a teacher. This is not how she teaches. She does not sit there all day with her hand up. The kids are supposed to raise their hand before they talk. That's their law. But she doesn't have to because she's above the law. Whenever I would teach this in a classroom setting, I don't, uh, in a school, I'd be, I would purposely chew gum during that lesson because the kids couldn't. So I said, ah, look at me. I can chew gum. I'm above the law, right? So too, God, as the giver of the law, was above it. But if he's going to be our substitute, what does Jesus have to do? God has to take on flesh. He has to become true human so that when God, at, a, at just the right time, sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. But if he was just human, if he was conceived by sinners, he wouldn't be able to keep that law perfectly in our place. And so what did he have to do? He also had to be true God in order that he could keep that law perfectly. That's part of the reason why Jesus had to be true man and true God. The second aspect of why he had to be true man and true God has to deal with the consequences of not keeping that law. God says very consistently throughout the Bible, he says, if you break my law, he told Adam and Eve, if you do this, guess what? You're gonna, from dust you are, to dust you will return. Uh, the wages of sin is death. And, and God is a just God, and so he still says sin has to be punished, but if he's going to be our substitute, he has to be able to die. Well, if he's only God, he can't die. By essence, he can't die. God cannot die. And so God becomes human so that he can die. And it's not just the human side of Jesus that died. Jesus isn't like a an Oreo cookie that, oh, here's the human side and here's the God side. He's 100% man, 100% God at the same time. And why is it important to know that it wasn't just the human side of God, of Jesus died, but the God side? Because that's what gives it value. If he's just a human that dies, there's nothing in that blood. But it's the holy, precious blood of Jesus that also dies on the cross. And that's what makes it have value. So that's, what, that's what's important about the person of Jesus, the Son. 
What's also pretty fascinating is, is the offices or the jobs that he had. Uh, there was a time where Jesus is having a conversation with his followers, his disciples. He says, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter chimes in, you are the Christ or the Messiah. And, and that word literally means anointed one, that you've been set apart for a job. I just talked about King David earlier. King David, when he was, when he was a teenager, the prophet came and poured oil on his head. He anointed him, setting him apart that, hey, you're going to be king. That was a symbol. And so what was Jesus set apart to do? Well, the Bible tells us right, three big roles that he set aside to do. A, that he was going to be a prophet, someone who would proclaim God's word, and that's what he did. And he still proclaims his word through the Bible today. Secondly, he's a priest. A priest of the Old Testament was, was someone who sacrificed animals, and he also represented the people before God. If there's a curtain in the temple, the priest could go behind and say, hey, I'm God, I'm God, I'm representing the people. And then he'd come back from behind that curtain and say, hey, I'm representing God. He's the go-between, the mediator. And then the third rule is that he was the king. What does a king do? A king protects. And so too, Jesus protects us. He sits at the right hand of God, and he rules all things for our benefit. He also rules in our heart. And this was mind-blowing for especially those Old Testament believers. Because these were the big three jobs. And to have one person fulfill them all? I mean, that's like someone being the president and the, the, the speaker of the house and the, the top general of the army, of all, the same, all in one person. Or sports world, it's the owner, it's the coach, and the star player, all being the same person. You know, that, that, that doesn't fit our, our paradigm. But that's what Jesus did. He fulfilled all three of these roles. Why? Because what was his job? What was his work? He very clearly outlines it. It's not to flaunt his muscles, says, look at me, I'm special. I'm one of a kind, but the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many or to redeem us, to buy us back. Redemption is sometimes what we call the work of Jesus. So he's this unique person to do this unique work. And so too, on this Trinity Sunday, we adore not just the Father who created and, and preserves and loves us, but we adore the Son who won us. And so we'll sing verse, verses 1 and 2. We'll just keep building this song. Sing verses 1 and 2 of this song at this time.
And we get to the third person of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom I consider to be like the third child of a family. You ever, if, if, if you were the third child or if you've had multiple children, you can maybe understand this picture, is that first child, what happens? You take so many pictures of that first child. And, and so they have photo album shelf space about this big in your closet, right? And you record everything that they ever did in that little baby book of journal entries. You know, you can tell me what their first word was at what day, on what day they said it. Our daughter's first word was amen. A proud parent moment right there. Um, but the boys were ball and cracker. And I get mixed up whose was whose. Um, but, but yeah, you, could, you know those details. And then so you go through first child, and then you have second child. And your photo albums go from like here to about here. Cut in half. And your little baby's first book is about halfway filled. And then third child comes around. And you have either a box of loose pictures somewhere, or you maybe haven't ever pulled them off your phone. They're just still there. And that baby book, you might as well just re-gift it because you've never cracked the spine, right? You're, you're too busy with the other two to, to get into those details necessarily. And, and I, I sometimes think that's about the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son get a lot of attention. The Holy Spirit, not so much. And yet, that's really the point that, that, that shows that the Holy Spirit is working. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I was going to send the Holy Spirit, and what's his job? To testify about me. And so if we're focusing on Jesus or God the Father, that means the Holy Spirit's doing his work. The more he puts the spotlight on Jesus, the more he stands in the shadows. And, and so that's, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. And, and that's maybe why we don't know as much about the Holy Spirit. But even the way that the Bible talks about the work of the Holy Spirit can be confusing to us even the way it's written in the Bible. Uh, the, the word that is used in the Bible for the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification. Uh, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Sanctifying. Uh, someone told me once along the line, and I use this all the time, sanctify equals sanctify. Uh, we know what a saint is, someone who's holy. And that's the, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He plants, you know, he's the guy, he's the core who plants seeds of faith in our hearts that connects us to Jesus, and through Jesus we become holy. That is the big job of the Holy Spirit, that he sets us apart as holy because of the work of Jesus. That's sanctification in what we're going to call the big sense. But here's where it gets confusing. The Bible also uses the word sanctification in a we'll call it a narrow sense, or a little sense, that while he makes us holy, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification is also the same word that's used to describe the works that we do by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts so that, we, yes, I'm, I'm completely holy through Jesus, but now he also leads me to do things that are holier you know, that, that I am leading a life that is more in line with God's will. That's a process. That goes back and forth. I'm completely holy through Jesus, but he makes, my, makes a difference in the way that I behave. 
He leads me to want to love God. He leads me uh, to want to love others. And so while that's maybe confusing for us, uh, we can understand why it's confusing. That's, again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to maybe think about them. <coughs> sorry, sports illustrations today, kind of think about them like a point guard. Point guard's job is what? Not to shoot and score points, but to put other people in position to shoot and score points. They get their name in the paper. It's the Holy Spirit who's kind of working, working behind the scenes. And so, too, um, you can just kind of think about him as the, the agent of change. He changes our eternal life because he connects us to Jesus, but he also changes our earthly life in the way that we live for him. And so, too, uh, on this Trinity Sunday, we adore not just the Father, but also the, and not just the Son, but also the Holy Spirit, as we sing all three verses now of this song. salvation does not depend on you coming up with a new creed like Athanasius did. Your, your salvation rather depends on the Trinity. Not your knowledge about the Trinity. Your salvation depends on the Father who created you, 
preserves you and loves you. Your salvation depends on the Son, who became one of you, and proclaimed that word to you, and sacrificed himself for you, and rules in your heart, and rules the right hand of God through your benefit. Your salvation depends on the Spirit. The Spirit who connected you to that Jesus, that Spirit who affects you every day of your life as you live for Him. You know, it reminds me of a, one of my favorite quotes that you'll hear me saying about the Gospel. The Gospel is deep enough for an elephant to drown in, but shallow enough for a child to play in. Play. If we, if we are drowning in the doctrine of the Trinity today, may you just play. Play in the truths of the Trinity as you go about your life. Giving us every reason uh, to praise our God. So we'll just add one more song today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, a song that emphasizes that all of our blessings come from Father, Son, and